the Demon Dust Podcast, dedicated to the His Dark Materials, BBC, HBO television series, based on the works of Philip Pullman, is hosted by Travis Bryant and Rich Fan II, powered by the South Congress Podcast Network. podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about and review the His Dark Material series on BBC and HBO. I am your host, Travis Bryant, and with me, per usual, is my main man, 50 Grand, Rich Fan. Rich, what's happening? Not much. Looking forward to talking this week and hopefully got some engaged listeners ready to work our brains after a heck of an episode. Yes, um, on the heels of a somewhat disappointing episode, uh, disappointing in certain aspects. Overall, last week's The Lost Boy was was a good episode. Advanced what they needed to advance, and, and very well acted. And Serafina Peckler and Corum, uh, amazing, just top notch stuff. But the, just certain things about the Lost Boy and uh, storyline and how they carried that out um that was a little a little disappointing so coming off of the most disappointing it's 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 weird or you know when you're when you're working with such um high quality when something's uh when you get straight A's and you Mm -hmm. get a B minus you're like oh well wait wait a second wait what's going on teacher how could you do this to me <laughs> it's like fam chill you you know just uh tighten up next time and uh it's not going to affect your average much much if any <laughs> so um but but this week it was just intense and energy and and and, and action felt like all the way through mm-hmm. uh, but, um yeah, so let's uh, let's get to it. Overall, before we get into um, kind of a scene by scene breakdown, what did you uh, what did you think coming again? Like I said, off of, I think I, I think universally under under uh, the the most disappointing episode of varying degrees, but I think everybody understood uh, thought um, almost unanimously that yeah, last week's episode left something to be uh, desired, but. Yeah, that's it. Your 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 thoughts. I liked it. I thought this episode was the right tone it needed to be, given where they were. Um, I loved the interaction, and the, the, you know, now that they've constantly—I mean, it's television, so they can do a good job of reminding you without hitting you over the head. The relationship between Lyra and her mother, that scene where they're both screaming at the door. Mm-hmm. For a second, you believe like take take everything out of it. That could have been any mother daughter argument in the history of mankind. I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. And then just <laughs> well, ah! like Mom's the screams, like like it was basically. I thought both of their jaws were just gonna unhinge. That's how like ferocious they were screaming at each other. And then Pandalimon's like, "We gotta go." Pan's like, you, you, "Not you, even that." He's just like, "Fam." 
you gotta calm down. Like, chill. You are. Yeah, she. They were about to flip tape. Like, if they could have, they would have entered Mortal Kombat. And then you just juxtapose that to their later uh, scene where 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 Lyra. Uh, plays her like a fiddle I don't think there's any yeah. way like gets over her righteous indignation and her anger and her her frustration and just her disappointment and what what Mrs. Coulter is up to but then I don't know when it happened but so, at some point she realized I I gotta play this. I, it was probably when she said, "Hey," when Mrs. Coulter was like, "You want? I can take you back to your dorm." And then she some she thought about it and was like, or she's like, "I can take you to your dorm, or you could stay here." And she's like, um, "Yeah, I'd like that. I'd stay here." And then she, yeah, we'll get to it. But it this was uh, this was a more than solid episode. This was a really good episode, especially again. I'm not gonna harp on it, but just coming off of a somewhat. Uh, in some places, disappointing uh, episode. Um, th- this has this this episode though reinforced like boom, like the nail. They were boom, boom, tip. You know, tapping with the hammer on the head. And this time, they just this episode just fl- made it flush. That nail flush with the wood. It, they have they have. And this is a harsh way to put it, but I think they have botched the demon-human relationship um, at least so far. I think that's fair. Um, I'm I'm have it on in the background now. I'm it's the opening scene. It's after Lyra gets uh, they go through Bullvanger and she's introduced to the rest of the kids and everybody's in the cafeteria area eating and someone had said like yeah none of like none of the demons are like you would think in that moment most if not all the kids would be very close not because they know what's coming but because that's their companion they're in this obviously shady you know thing and fearful they're all scared and hopped up on all kinds of adrenaline and, and emotion why aren't they cuddling with their demon why isn't their demons agitated like we know uh, you know just changing form and not being that just being nervous yeah. um i i think they're going they're not i think they're obviously going for something different uh, with with that but but i think it's a missed it's a it's a it's a it's not the story, but it is central to this story, the demon and human relationship. It's what it's what makes uh Will's world and Chittagatze so important in the future, you know, coming up. Um so yeah, I, I, I just in rewatching, I'm looking at everyone's and even the bad guys and how they're you know, Mrs. Colt I guess the Golden Monkey's the only one that gets a lot of character development because he's he's a main character with her. But background demons, people complained and are still complaining, well we don't get to see him that much. I'm not bothered by that a ton. I wish they would establish uh, firmer, especially in this episode and how it ends on the cliffhanger, that when you don't see a demon, especially as a kid they could be in a moth form in your hair. 
at your ear. Right. Uh, we saw the we saw the one of the clergy guys with the with the beetle that crawls around on his face, or Father McPhail, his gecko just crawls around on his body. So if you're he's a it's a gecko. So if it's like on his ass or on his thigh behind him on his calf, and I'm looking at you in your face, you know, shooting that scene and you just tight close ups, you're not going to see the damn demon in every every shot. Like people need to kind of get over that point that part of it but that interaction it's no I know I know and it's already the most expensive show in BBC history I, I'm, I'm I, I understand I, I understand but I think there's a way to get a, to not get around it but to but to um, to shoot it or to however to to make the demon human relationship come across as closer and more than just a, a glorified pet. Yeah, it's weird because the the options they're doing because it's like, do you pay all this money for really good actors and not do the close ups, or do you zoom out a little and pay a little more for the demons? It's, yeah, and again, my issue isn't on screen what you see. How are they always presented? I think Boreal in episode one or two when he said to Thomas like. Uh, we're not all, my, our demons aren't always on display. It was yeah. that was probably uh, maybe not. I'm just me, you know, uh, 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 projecting. But that definitely says to the fan base, like, chill, like, with the looking for the demons. Yes, it's a it's a really central, like I said, one of the central points of of this show and the story being told. But it's not everything, and they don't have to dominate every scene. That being said, it's, it's the relationship between the demons and their human that I have issue with. But we'll get into it when when it comes up. Let's uh, jump into this episode. As I said, we open in Bolvanger, and the first line in my notes, Rich, Bolvanger looks like hell. Yeah. It's this segmented... It's weird. Like, why is so much of it outside? And why did they not give Lyra a jacket <laughs> as, as they walked her from the outsidey parts through? You know, you got to go from one building, sort of like a, a, a small campus uh, type. You know, industrial, uh, 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 not steampunk. What do they? What's what's like the next thing up from steampunk? Um, Grindcore? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Like industrial punkish kind of uh, campus. And they go from building to building, and it's uh, obviously just in the north. It's in Bolvanger. It's snowing. It's a miserable tundra of a place. And they've got Tartar guards all over the place. And they've got wolf demons or actual wolves. Um... I have to assume that's it's their demons because that's what it was in the books. That's what it was in the movie. That seems to make sense if they're Tartars of the North in the in that environment in that society and that's what they grew up probably knowing what they're going to be. You're going to be a Tartar soldier in some form, you know. Uh, um, so yeah, that's that's Volvanger. It's hell. It's a snowy tundra of hell place. Uh, this station, I should say, Bolvanger is the is the land. Uh, what the, they call that area. The station is the 
industrial punk campus. Uh, so yeah, they march Lyra through Balvanger. It's hell. It's she gets to the cafeteria. She sees Roger. Her eyes light up, but in a in low, a, low. Yeah, she's she's keeping it. She's keeping it low key. He does the same. He already knows the deal that you don't want to stand out in this place, and you certainly don't want to you know draw attention to yourself. And yeah, uh, Pan Pan and and um, Sasha, I forget, I forget, uh, I forget uh, Roger's uh, demon's name. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. I'm like, let me see. So she sees him. Yeah, it was a great like slow mo, wide eyed shot of 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 her when she. Uh, when she sees when she sees Roger, so she just low key pan goes over to. Uh, he's about to say it, Cecilia. So I was way off. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so they kind of they let each other know through the demons talk to each other. That was cool, letting letting you know that, reminding you that of of what I'm talking about. So as I rewatch it for the third time, but that was kind of they had to do that. They had to use the demons to kind of be low key. But it tell it does tell the audience and it gives them like, "Oh yeah, it is really awesome if you had a demon and was able to like go a few feet and be your lookout and do this and do that." Uh that's the part that they didn't get in the kidnapping in the book. Remember I talked about in that episode pans the bird flying above telling her go left go right duck you know because he can you know fly 12 15 feet up and see down um so just reminding the audience of 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 that connection in that relationship is really good um so they have their little uh their little convo between demons they they like hey let's pretend we don't know each other until we can uh Get some quiet time or whatever. A, 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 another young girl walks in. She's got glasses and a her demon was a was a was a rabbit. And they only it only and again on, the demons that were very stationary not stationary they were very uh uh unit unit This is where one thing again this Bridget they call for Bridget. Bridget sitting next. She sat. She came in with her her tray. She sat next to Lyra, who's just got there and is taking everything in herself. Bridget, whatever, you know, come in, come with us. And Lyra's like, "Holy crap, what's happening?" She's like, "I haven't even eaten yet." And they're like, "Come along, dear." And as they're walking down this hallway to Bridget's impending doom, uh, you'd think her demon would be fluttered. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rabbit. I'm a scorpion. I'm a this. I'm a that. Nope. Just rabbit hopping down the hallway next to uh, its human, uh, and again, maybe they just didn't have the extra. I never understand why that costs so much money, right? Like, just just do it. <laughs> like, why is that so hard still? <laughs> well, I mean, because you still got to make it look good. That's the no, thing. I, I, I get it. And it's the time. They've got to. Somebody's got to sit there by hand and <laughs> render it, or it, I don't know. I don't know that terminology. Uh, no, you're right. But but it just seems like I don't know. And and 
this is the, some amazing technology that 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 twelve-year-old me would be like, "Oh my God, this is the most amazing thing! You live in the future!" Like, yeah, idiot, I do live in the future. <laughs> I'm almost forty. Yeah, so you'd um, be like, so yeah, I just like don't appreciate it in the moment. I'll appreciate it when I'll appreciate it. Um, when it holds up in 10 years or it doesn't and you go oh that doesn't look good like when the bears fight in the movie i'm like man this is not holding up that's one of my complaints about how it's just you know but that's fine it was 2006 7 when that when that came out it's um so i'm just being a snob about yeah but just something something one of the best parts of this episode happened in this opening scene we have bridget go into the state uh, into the intercision room which it obviously is they don't give a look in but she's hesitant the nurse and doctor's like come on dear and she goes in and the nurse has no demon all the nurses and like orderly types anybody there just to do a labor or servant type job where a nurse all you're there to do is like fill up this beaker maybe give some a minister uh, uh, medicines and give people needles and stuff. They don't need you to have a personality or... <laughs> so, the more compliant, the better. So, none of the nurses or orderlies or anything, men, women, they all have... They've all undergone indecision. And, obviously, uh, a rudimentary version of indecision, because they're completely... Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess rudimentary because that's where they they say they're in the story. They're trying to make it better all the time, so they don't have the latest intercision thing. So they're just kind of walking zombies who do what they're told, and they have no soul. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. We get the opening credits, and then we uh, have Lyra being measured and prodded and poked by nurses, and then Dr. Rendell, uh, a young doctor who's uh, very, you know, uh, he looks very clean-cut and wholesome. And he's trying to reassure Lyra that nothing's going to hurt her. And... um, and and Lyra starts, you know, being Lyra and asking questions. What are you measuring? I thought I already came in, and or when I when I came in, they already took measurements. And what's this? He's like, well, we're doing something else. We're taking pictures for for other things. He was pretty vague. And she's like, you're measuring dust, aren't you? And he's like, who who told you that? She's like, one of the other uh, girls. He's like, no, that's impossible. <laughs> so she immediately covers for herself and does something she does and did in the book and went, I, you know, in the book it's uh, or at least the audio book, I ain't dusty. I took a shower, you know, <laughs> just the other day or whatever she said. Uh, and and she did that basically, like I I assure you, sir, doctor, that I'm clean. And when I came in, they they wiped me down or whatever the hell she said. <laughs> so she covered her for herself and completely disarmed Doctor Rendell. And um, so yeah, she's just more blah blah, and they're calling her Lizzie, and he assures her this is this is a philosophical endeavor, not a kid chop shop, because she alludes like, are you uh, are you hurting people? Are you uh, you know what, what what's going on? Uh, and then a fire alarm goes off, and uh, you get a more a better sense or another sense that the 
nurses are just soulless robots. Lyra even gives her this look like, why are you talking like, why are you talking like that? But she knows why. But they don't do a good job, I don't think, of the horror and recoil. When later, when all the kids show up without their demons, and you know, I'm jumping ahead, the Egyptians all like kind of gulp in like a. They were all clearly trying not to be rude and gasp at these half children. Uh, but when Lyra sees this nurse, she's not like looking her up and down, like what is, g-? because it's a it's a it's to them a horrible sight. Yes, yeah, you're it's missing, like a fate worse than death. Yeah, you're missing half yourself. Fire alarm goes off. All the kids run at, run and get in their snowsuits and and you know put their scullies and hoods on and stuff. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I don't think I've realized that. <laughs> my uh, localized slang a scully is a, a beanie Ugh, I hate the way it's in beanie not wearing, <laughs> not wearing a beanie beanie seagull not wearing, well that's different <laughs> not wearing a beanie on my head I'm rocking a scully fam what you talking about uh, so outside Lyra in line they're they're taking order or roll call I should say and all the kids are lined up in their snowsuits. Um, you know, just doing a basic fire drill, and Lyra and and, and Roger catch up. Uh, why are you being called Lizzie? That kind of thing. She, Roger, does his best to keep her behaving. He's like, "Look, standing out is going to get us in trouble." Or, or I'm sorry, he's saying, do you, "What we should do is is uh, 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 lay low and don't be noticed." And she's like, nah, standing out is the only way I'm going to get it. We're going to get out of this place. So she starts a snowball fight uh, again, right from the books. She starts hit throwing snowballs at people. And eventually, um, since you got you know, 30, 40 kids all lined up, you, you know, it's the boondocks uh, uh, theory. You know, it's a big argument or fight, throw a chair and uh, like not even at someone just in the middle of the crowd. And that'll like disperse the thing or. Oh, no, 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 no. Throw a chair to create. Like, if things are like, if you feel things are getting tense, throw a chair. Then all hell will break loose. <laughs> it don't even have to hit anybody or go near anyone. Just people see a chair flying. <laughs> so, so, so they do that. They have a big snowball fight and they sneak off. And she's trying to get Roger, like, where's the exit? He's like, the only place we're not allowed to go is over here so <laughs> that's probably the closest thing we have to an exit they they're running around it's very convenient but you know that's how tv is uh they happen across after ducking and dodging some nurses um they happen across the namesake of this episode the demon cages I, this is this was probably I always in the book I think it was a separate it was no I guess it was done almost exactly like this but there's a there's a room full of full of locked individual cages like a like a like a pound um but like a pound where the dogs barely get to breathe cuz they're not like cages they're boxes with you would think all these demons were on uh death row or in solitaire, I should say, because they get a little slit of a window, and they're all named, and Bridget's demon, the rabbit demon, still in its rabbit form, is just 
clunking its head up against the side of the box it's in, the metal cage, the demon cage it's in. They see Billy Costa's cage, and but the demon's gone, and Roger realizes he must be dead. Lyra's like, yeah, I'm sorry, fam. He's like, you knew? He's like, yep, I found him. And before he died, I was able to get him to his get him to to Macosta. Uh But he found a way out of here, so we need to. There's a way out. So Billy getting out is what drives Lyra's notion that that there uh, there has to be a way out. And and Roger in this scene killed it. The way is he he you know cried on cue he was just very genuine they do realize well if the demons are here the kids gotta be around here somewhere so they they turn a few more lefts and rights down some hallways they find a room full of kids there's bridget shaved head zombified there's a room full of you know 12 15 kids same way they're they're creeped out so they did. I talked about how they didn't get across the horror. So they did in, in this scene yeah. certainly get across that. They were kind of like zoned out. And they're counting not to one to just one to ten. And it seems like over and over they're counting one to ten. And and the alarm goes off. They realize crap. We got to get back in line. They run conveniently. Find you know find their find their. Uh, uh, Classmates, <laughs> their ballvanger mates, their station mates, uh, you know, kind of marching back to uh, back to the dorms. They're whispering, get the word out. We're going to the next time we hear a Lyra's telling them the next time you hear a fire alarm, it's going to be me. And we need to we need to uh, keep a deathly secret. Well, was that the time she said it? Uh, but 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 there's a nurse or some kind of lady who had to see them come join the line from wherever they were not with the rest of the group and then I don't know if she overheard them talking but she heard them like she saw they were like whispering to each other and they lingered on her for two seconds after and then she never never had anything to do later. Came up with it. I was like oh I thought they were unless we're to believe you know what you know what? They didn't make it that obvious, but now that I think about it, rem- so and, and I'm jumping forward, but uh, 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 Mrs. Coulter arri- arrives and she wants a demonstration, and they see this girl who fits all the criteria of she's about to her demon's going to settle probably you know she's going to hit puberty at any moment now, you know she'll probably. You know, it's just a matter of time. They could tell, whatever. However, I, th- well, I don't think they could tell. I mean, if she's supposed to be thirteen, it's like, oh well, yes, that's yeah. when this thing, this thing, these things happen. So it's not hard to uh, <laughs> infer, uh, decipher that. You know, human biology. Um, so late, uh, later on, Coulter comes. They need a demonstration. They probably go. You know what? She's ready. She's she's about to. She's gonna cause some trouble. She's whispering. So maybe. And hopefully that's not like me booking it in my own head. How we do with wrestling. How we gotta somehow make sometimes make storylines connect or make sense. Where you're like, well, maybe if they meant this, or maybe he meant this when he said that in his promo. Um, so I I think that might be it. Um, any. 
any um, any thoughts on 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 more on on that on that scene that lady the demonless kids the demons themselves I think it was really good t- showing the the bleakness of the situation like even the stark like I, I know you mentioned the campus earlier but even that stark white on metallic gives you that sense of foreboding like a prison like like you just yeah, can't like I said, solitary this. confinement. They felt like those demons were in solitary. The kids don't need to be because they're just no. can be pushed yeah, they're around like and they... malleable now, and they can be just told what to do. Hey, sit here and count the ten over and over again. And they'll sit there and count the ten over and over um, until somebody tells them to do something else. But the yeah, demons, they're kind of like um, the old man, like in any of those prison movies, who runs the library that can kind of just shuffle about, like. No, none of the gangs mess with him because he's just this old man. So that's what those kids, and that's sad that they're just seen as like, they're not the goal. She really is experimenting with the whole idea of what a demon is, like how to collect someone else's soul. And that sort of metaphysical level of terror is wild to see on TV when you think of it that way, because it is a very it's a very personal thing, but it's also a very like strange thing to me that that's her bag like seeing it on tv like you've read the books if for those of us that have read it but seeing it it's like wow she is really a scumbag like you're destroying these people <laughs> like at the soul level like just oh, on a whim and, and this is all mrs coulter yeah this is her project that I think in the previews for next week's episode, they really make that clear when Father McPhail is like, "Your your your thing failed," and you're you know, and but this is this is the GOB. This is the General Oblation Board's big thing. There, and and later it might be in this upcoming scene, but Doctor Cooper, evil lady yeah. Doctor Cooper, in <laughs> the naive, <clears throat> innocent, clean cut. Uh, not innocent, but certainly naive, uh, Dr. Rendell. She's like, this is going to set us apart. The magisterium will praise us going forward, basically. Like, she's a professional and religious zealot. Like, her goals are just, uh, you know, uh, the the religious parts, the, the, the magisterium parts, but... She she's tying this with like oh the work I do if I do this for them and this for yeah yeah so uh, so this in the next scene we get Doctor Cooper and you know evil lady Doctor Cooper and naive man Doctor uh, Rendell uh, having a drink and and um, she has a fox demon by the way and I could not tell you Doctor Rendell's demon because. I do not remember seeing it in either watch. I, this is my third watch. I still don't notice it. And I think that goes back to your first point of the do's and don'ts of when they show them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Again, I don't want to be a hypocrite and go back on my own point. Like, ooh, they don't need to always be on display. But we know everyone's demon. We've All the major characters, we've at least seen their demons mm-hmm. once or twice. I must have just... I must have missed it, or. Uh, I, but you're not jumping in, going, "Oh, well, yeah, no, it's a." It's no, a, I don't. It's I don't mouth, remember. Or it's a, it's a, it's a mouse, or it's a whatever. Um. 
and he's got way too much oomph and person. Obviously, he's a he's he's whole. He hasn't been intersized, but he's expressing doubt, and he's like, "How many kids got to die?" And she's like, "The and she's just like shaking and wide eyed, like you know, like whatever it takes." And and they cast this woman. I mean, absolutely flawlessly. Just all the evil lady tropes, the short blonde. Norse, you know, aesthetic. You know, she's not exactly like tall and you know, like uh, uh, you know, statuesque. But she's, uh, you know, you know, like I'm not mousy, but she's average build. But this fair skin, blonde, short hair. You know, very short hair. Can't have her, you know, looking very feminine. And uh, no, she's got to be cold and straight laced and 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 have a and they. They cast the perfect for for who they needed in that role. That woman is great at it. Great. At it. She stood up when he was like, uh, you know, dude, how I many kids gotta die? <laughs> she stood I was waiting up for like, her to just slap him across the face. Are you kidding me? Do you know the sheer? Because to her, you know, hey, like anything else, when you're doing trials for for medicines or vaccines or anything that, that you got to do uh eventually do human trials uh some people are going to get hurt and maybe uh maybe killed in in the process you know but you know like okay how many people died during uh i don't know pick your Rubella, I don't <laughs> diphtheria. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I hope not a lot of people, or you know, people were injured Mistakes or killed. Were made. But you know, you could agree that uh, that uh, millions of people' lives are saved uh, with with their for their because of their sacrifice. Uh, but that's like for the greater good. This is horrible, evil, authoritarian, fascist stuff that's going on here. And she, the way she stood up and like, we are doing something that's going to change the world and is going to make us saints. And what, she didn't, I don't think she said that at all. And not in, even in that way, but yeah. Um, oh, and then uh, before that scene, before the, with the doctor and, and the two doctors having a drink in the conversation, they showed Kaisa arriving uh, flying in and then seeing the station right within reach. So he's there. And so he's there. They mm-hmm. show Kaiser arriving, but then he had nothing to do with Yeah, just like putzing around. With the escape, with getting the they 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 did it differently. In the books, uh 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 Kaiser frees um the demons later and he, he picks the lock and that's how they get in or something he's with them it's Lyra Roger they find the demon cages they find the building and then Kaiser comes up and I, I think if I'm getting it right I might be off a little bit uh, but Kaiser talks to him and he's like something evil is back or, you know something unsettling is in that building and they he, he does something in his throat and the lock opens and they walk in that's when they see the demon cage it's all three of them Kaiser, Roger and Lyra at the same time experience the demon cages and Kaiser 
is beyond disgusted. I mean, is <laughs> I've never seen. He is. He's ready to kill some damn Bullvanger people, some station folks. Yeah. Um, but you didn't get that. And again, they did a, they did this whole thing differently with how they rescued the kids. But let's 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 move on. Uh, next scene we got just a quick one of Will watching some really awesome footage, which we have to assume is from 13, you know, 12 years ago, whatever, of his dad. And he's talking about his upcoming expedition. Just some puff piece on a, like a late night show or some kind of news program that hey we've got a, this archaeology things happening let's do a little five minutes and interview this guy that's doing, going on this expedition and um, he's just talking about what he's going to pack and he's going to take a toy car that's his son's and you know he talked about his wife and uh, um, how uh, it's easier to talk to the kid <laughs> because, you know, he's a kid. He can't talk back. He can't be worried and be like, are you going to be safe and have angst? But trying to talk to Elaine, my wife, it's uh, it's tough. Um, and then Will goes and checks on his mom. She's asleep. He puts the cover over her and turns off her light, her nightlight. And um, the, um, the henchman, Thomas and the other henchman, is uh, still uh, are still uh, watching the house, and Thomas is like super impatient. Like, why don't why haven't we gone in yet? No, I think he said, why haven't you gone in yet? <laughs> so, yeah, Thomas yeah, isn't no Thomas isn't exactly itching to like do do a break in, do a B and E, which because we talked about hmm, who's like who's gonna die? Like, is Thomas right. gonna you know? In, is he going to be the one that uh, you know is in that unfortunate spot? Uh, and then we got to meet the new henchman, and we're like, oh, it's maybe it's him or him and his partner, because we thought Boreal were keeping those two guys separate. Oh, nope, here they are in the in the car together watching the house. Like, oh, okay, two guys are going to are, are going to when they break in, one of them <laughs> is going to die, and. I think it's going to be Thomas. I don't think it's going to be... Because the other henchman is a real henchman. He's like, no. She knows we're watching, and that's what's important. Like, basically, they're not trying to be uh, low-key anymore. He's like, no. She knows we're watching, and that's enough for right now. We'll find... I think he might again kept it singular. Yeah, Thomas says, why aren't you going in? She knows we're watching. That's dot, dot, dot. Enough for now. And then he continues, uh, I'll find an opportunity soon enough. So he's clearly the lock-picking, muscly, you know, muscle guy that's going to bust in and break into somebody's house. And I think Thomas is just going to be fodder <laughs> in that scene. And then it's the next morning in Ballvanger at the station. Mrs. Coulter's uh, airship arrives at the station do you have it's not a big deal but do you have an issue with them calling it airships in this show and not instead of like instead of zeppelins as they were in the books and in the movie i it's it's one of those things where it's just the language i wonder the, why though i like i just wondered like they obviously, they obviously had to talk about it and go and make a make a conscious change i just wonder what was the thought process behind it 
Like, again, we're like, well, no, we're not trying to be steampunk. We're industrial punk or whatever the, the, you know, the feel is that people have noticed that it is. Oh, okay, there's Rindles. His, it's a rat. His, his, his uh, demon is a rat. And when Mrs. Coulter comes up, uh, Dr. Cooper and Dr. Rindle are trying to keep her focused on the positives, as they talked about in their conversation before. Like, let's not talk about the negatives and the setbacks. Let's just talk about this new machine. It's kicking ass. It's cutting cutting kids away from their demons at half the speed or, or double the speed, I should say. And, 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 and the consciousness rate, or they can stay alive or stay conscious before and during the... Uh, the intercision it's you know a lot more staying a lot oh only five have died uh since we last seen you or something like that <laughs> <It's so laughs> or, or five have lived either way it was like oh my god so many kids are dying even my later goes these, these weren't going to be the last kids that they hurt but hopefully we, we put a dent and, and and made it hard for them um but the, the the airship arriving uh, wakes all the girls in the dorm, in Lyra's dorm, and they all look out the window, and they're like, it's her! It's her! It's I see the golden monkey! So you immediately, you immediately know Coulter's Whoa. on her way. And the girl that played Annie, there were people <laughs> saying she should have been Lyra. Uh, it's at least aesthetically, and she looks probably a year younger, probably two years younger than Daphne Keene. And in the books, you know, Lyra was 11, not 13. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just a quick little thing. Um, but she's trying to get them to hide her. And she's like, trust me. And Annie's like, I don't trust nobody in this place. So she's like, she's my mother. And all the girls gasp. And she's like, I know what they're doing. They're severing, she's severing kids from their demons. And Annie's like, severing? That's what happened? So obviously they're not going around telling the kids what their fates are. They'd be a lot harder to handle. Um, Good lord, yes. Yeah. So this is news to these kids. And it, it give, and so it gives them reason to trust her. Like, she's, she's bringing news um, but she lets them know if she finds me here, I, I, you know, I don't know what she's gonna do. You gotta hide me. So she says, under the beds, you can pull yourself up. Um, so she basically has to do like a sixty-second pull-up slash plank underneath this bunk, you know, underneath this, you know, twin bed. And Mrs. Coulter wonders why there's a bed empty and. She says Bridget and Lizzie were sent for testing and they haven't gotten back yet. And the whole time the golden monkey's prowling and and he's kind of looking under the beds but kind of not because they're not expecting there to be a problem. He's just kind of looking around because he's just, you know... Nosy jerk. Piece of crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh... She, and oh, it was, she, I thought does. this was also said is like like this whole scene I thought you can shoot a hole in it was unnecessarily uh, suspenseful like I would imagine this and, and I don't mean to be like hyperbolic but that was like the family guy version like the monkey's like do 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 
do do do do and then she you know drops <laughs> well, he was... and then all of a sudden Miss Coulter bursts through good job everyone oh like, yeah yeah she opens the door good job like one last thing big ups <laughs> yeah. so that was a little unnecessary and like un- added angst and especially with the pause her. between her like shoving the door open and looking at them all yeah like, it's like, was, was she like, expecting to catch them doing something? Or, as I put in the last line in my note in that section for that scene, mm-hmm. uh, they hide Lyra when Coulter shows up. She is so damn creepy. And I wasn't she, obviously talking about Lyra. She really is. <laughs> but she did, Lyra, she did explain to the girls that Oh, this was another reason for them to trust her. Not only is she giving them the information, like Coulter's my mom, and she this is what she's doing to kids, but she also says, you know, Egyptians are on their way. And I even tweeted, I think I tweeted, why in the two instances, I think to Roger and again to this group of girls, why is Lyra just talking about the Egyptians showing up? Because even they go, they're going to get... Uh, Maybe it wasn't them. Maybe it was Roger. But I think it might have been Annie or, or one of. Yeah, it was Annie. It was one, one of the girls. It was like, girls yeah. What, what do we care? They're, they're not going to come for us. No, 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 no. Not what do we care? They're going to get slaughtered. Like what? Like Egyptians? Like I think it might have been Roger because he he knows who Egyptians are. Like yeah, they're fighters and stuff. But like fam, you see who they got out there? Tartars and you know these are grizzled, cold weather, you know, killers. Um, but my point is, why didn't Lyra say and a two-ton armored bear? Yeah, like their eyes would light up. Like, whoa, this girl's got a bear on her side! My goodness, all hail Lyra Belacqua! <laughs> you know, princess of uh, the station. Like, you are our, you are our leader. Uh, and, and then she just became the default leader basically after that because in the next scene um, oh, oh well in the very next scene we had just Egyptians uh, over rough terrain they almost lost the sled but Billy Costa or Tony Costa was able to like kick it forward and you know before the thing fell over and somebody was like why didn't Lee just fly over all of that like well he did he just you know like Decided. Okay, now we're going to fly the rest of the way. Like I think they think. Have oh, I no 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 no. They were going over mountains, and I don't know if I'm if if this was talked about in the book, or if this was talked about last week in in the episode. But they can't. He can't. And I think it's because I'm reading. Yeah, I, I'm reading. I just finished Subtle Knife last week and started The Amber Spyglass. I think there was some more balloon stuff. Yeah, they escape. They leave when Lee has to escape Trollison. They didn't just get to walk out of Trollison. Uh, they escaped because you know York busted out and all that, and they had you know Popo on their ass. Um, but but Lee had to get his balloon out of commission and blah blah blah. It was a whole big thing, and they had to, he got kind of chased out, and later a few chapters later they were still on his ass. Some Zeppelins were chasing him and he's like I can't fly over the mountains like that's just not so 
I'm filling in, you know, I'm doing that thing where I'm booking it out and f- connecting the dots. Like, well, yeah, they were literally the rough terrain. I wrote in my notes, Egyptians are all traveling, treacherous terrain. Yeah, they were going over a mountain. So I don't think you can just fly your balloon over a mountain. And and if he could, why would he want to get there that much faster than everybody else? Like, you don't want to just get there and be by yourself and get, you know, get caught up. It's like the Amazon Prime version. What do you mean? Like getting it that quick, like, hey, let me just get, let me, let me, let me just overnight this. Let me, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, you just outpace everybody else. So again, he did it fly in. It just not at that moment. Uh, after after we they established Egyptians again are indeed on their way, and it's not exactly easy for them to get there. Um, Lyra's trying to convince the girls, like, yo, we need to bust out of this this place, um, and they're like, escape. It's like, look, either that. Or getting severed, staying and getting severed from your demon. And she's like, when the time comes, I'll sound the fire alarm. Everyone get together, get their snowsuits, um, and be ready. And she's like, Annie's like, for what? Lyra leans in with this just kick-ass look on her face to a fight. And Annie's like, so she's just, I mean, default. This, she's the leader of these girls. She's been there <laughs> you know, six like hours. <laughs> the, then buzzer buzzes. Here come the nurses. Lizzie Brooks. Oh my God! All our plans that we just <laughs> talked about. I'm about to go get incisioned, uh, inter intersized, <laughs> whatever. Crap! They the girl grabs her hand like, oh my God! Annie grabs her hand like, oh my God! We're about to lose our leader that we just came to like so much and so soon. So Lyra walks down the hall with them. They take that same trip down that same corridor that, that Bridget did earlier. This time, Lyra tries to run away. Dr. Cooper goes, grab her demon. And they don't show it, but they cut back, and Dr. Rendell has Pan, Ermin formed in both his hands, and Lyra down the hall passes out. Like he's, I don't think he's squeezing it to hurt him, but I think the taboo, just having someone else touch your demon like that makes you kind of, you know, and she passed out. And he also might be squeezing the squeezing pan a little bit, like to keep him from squirming. Um, so yeah, he, he's, he's got it. And again, it would have been. Well, I guess in the opening scene, when she first got to the station, Dr. Cooper, the woman doctor, tried to grab Pan. That was the first thing she did. So, again, it's hard to get get over the horror, the taboo, when no one respects it. Uh, he, the, the, the Dr. Rendell throws Pan in the one side of the incision, uh, intercision machine, and... Lyra fruitlessly tries to run away. It doesn't matter. I, I would have liked this would have been the perfect opportunity to show the link. The physical link um that you have with your demon. And how it hurts to go far you know, more than, you know, fifteen, twenty feet away from them. Whatever it is. I don't, I don't know. I'm making I'm just saying that. Um because again, Pan gets thrown into the one side of the intercision machine. And they, and then he locks the door, locks the locks pan in, and then Lyra runs, and they should have just let her run. They yeah. tackled her, 
and grab her by her arms and legs, and they two people have to carry her and throw her in the other side. But no, let her run and show her like oh, and recoil at the at the at the link that's 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 being stretched to the point where it physically hurts. It causes you anguish. It's mostly emotional, but it also is a physical aspect to it as well. Um, they didn't do that. Again, this, this that would have been a perfect place, and it wouldn't have cost anything. It's not like, oh, well, they can't do the CGI. They can't. No, that's just an easy way to reestablish, or maybe establish for the first time, six damn episodes in, that there is a limit to where they can go, or you know, away from each other. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping in, in episode one when they were racing around Oxford that that kind of would have been cleared up a little bit. Like I said at the time in our, our uh, episode, uh, I think that was preview. No, no, that was episode one for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode two for us technically kind of in the preview where, you know, if you run too far and all of a sudden you get that catch like, oh, I know, you know, but they've also, you know, in the book kind of elaborated on. I don't remember them Rich, doing it. Rich. What? How do the Olympics and any kind of athletics work in this world? Usain Bolt must have like a snake or something wrapped around him when he runs. Uh, uh, I mean, because if you're that fast, I mean, I would hope you've trained yourself so that the distance can be like mitigated. But yeah, that would like no anything. How would you? How would you? Okay, it's, it's, it's Europe. How would you play soccer? You just got a bunch of demons flying, yep. fly, the flying ones just fluttering above. I guess you know that's kind of normal. But what about the the mice and rat demons and ferret demons and ermine and Martin demons and bobcat demons and duck demons? They got to run with they you. They just gotta run around the field and be in the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I like in the seven years, in the seven years plus that I have been completely enthralled in this story i have never thought of that until right now like what do they do uh for for yeah they've never had any kind of hey let's go to the uh soccer match or the the fence the cricket thing you know whatever cricket yeah match <laughs> cricket well i mean all of these sports would be anything would be like, even solo sport even like tennis one-on-one sports what it's about like, like the other crazy european stuff like lamont's driving you're driving for 21 hours 24 hours well your team's sitting in the passenger seat that's that's not is it yeah what do you mean because if you got a big old one how's that gonna mess with your drag well, that's, that's oh sure i mean yeah yeah. Right, like if I got a platypus demon weighing me down, like and I gotta chilling. like he just have a imagine imagine Usain Bolt's uh, demon is just a slovenly platypus, just and at he him. has to like wear a backpack at, during his races, <laughs> so he's got to be even faster <laughs> to compensate. For, well, I, you know, you would hope yeah, he's like, like this is my this is my demon a, Wilmington sloving sloving. Hello. Platypus or something. Yeah, so like, could you imagine Usain Bolt has a sloth demon? Oh That'd my god, that's like every six nine, three hundred twenty pound guy being called tiny. Mm-hmm. Or, or uh, in the Angel Mage, I'm reading Angel Mage uh, by Garth Nix right now. There's a guy called Small Jack, and he's, you know, a giant. <laughs> or Small Bob, or whatever his name was. 
so yeah. Oh boy. Okay, okay. Back to the episode. They throw Lyra in her in her side, and they lift up the thing. Miss Cooper is in the at the controls, setting like oh, okay, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, and and transistors are on level one. You know, whatever. She's turning knobs and activating things. I don't have technical terms on Decky. Uh, <laughs> and she's Lyra screaming, "Please, Mrs. Coulter!" But, but oh, before that. Then Mrs. Cooper does tell Rendell, like, close the door. You don't want the Ambaric, which is the first time I think Ambaric has been said. You don't want the Ambaric field to fritz out the system now. And he goes to close the door. And she's like, Mrs. Coulter, Mrs. Coulter wouldn't want this. And he's like, she's saying, Mrs. How does she know Mrs. Coulter? Shouldn't we at least listen to her? And Mrs. Co- and Dr. Cooper is just like... Fam, close the door so we can get this sever on. And he hesitates, and then that gives Mrs. Coulter, excuse me, the time to come in and go like, "Hey, I thought everything was handled. I don't know where she was. If she was in the skybox, in the in the what do they call them in the surgery thing, like the stadium, looking. Oh down. yeah, yeah, like the observation room. observation deck, you know, hanging yeah. out, look watching this. But she comes Tipping. down like, "Yo, what's, what's going on? I thought you had this handled." And she sees Lyra through the the slit and, like, runs over and, Lyra! And smashes the, like, uh, abort button. And the whole system shuts down. The doctors and nurses realize, oh, crap, let's get her out. And this is the most disappointing part of this episode. And kind of brings my whole human-demon interaction um, a complaint. To uh, to a head. Lyra and Pan were about to be cut from each other. When Lyra, when the nurse and the doctor Rendell lets her out of the 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 intercision machine, she gets out and stares at Mrs. Coulter through like the again the observation thing where she is up on the upper level, and Coulter, Cooper, Doctor Cooper, the Golden Monkey. And an indiscreet, like some person in the shadow, and then probably another nurse or orderly, and a nurse are standing there looking. And Lyra's just dumbfounded, she's looking, at her mother, because she screamed, Mother, when she saw Mrs. Coulter, before she hit Coulter, hit the button. And Pan is just kind of slowly getting out of his box, just kind of observing everything, just walking up to Lyra's side. And I. I I yelled at what the hell is this this is the most egregious in the entire series so far this is the most egregious I I don't want to say it's an an F up because I don't think they this was done with conscious uh, effort and you know foresight (laughs) but in the books, when they get out of the, when they get, when Mrs. Coulter shuts down the machine and they get out of that machine, Lyra and Pan are all over each other, as you think you would in that situation where you are about to be separated from your soul or from your best friend. You would think when you are saved, you'd hug them and kiss oh my god oh my god you're okay oh you're okay oh my god i can't believe we almost lost you none of that 
None of that. Yeah. Lyra just stood there like an idiot staring up at Mrs. Coulter. Like, yeah, she just saved you, but you're she's the reason you're there. She knows that. <laughs> and she explained it to the girls. So she's not... Ah, ah. This scene... This part of this scene, the scene was good. I, I like the incision. I like how they did the machine. I like how the, they had to hesitate, the doctor hesitating. The one doctor like go, and the other one like, eh. and they gave Coulter a time to get in, but them not, like, Pan not even jumping into her arm. Okay, pay a guy an extra fifteen grand to stay over, do some <laughs> overtime to get that scene right. Have Pan at least jump into her arms become a maw a butterfly and fly or, or you know and fly to her hair and be cl- as close as possible to her as he could Ugh. did not like it yeah because that screams that could have been a situation kind of like when you think about a game of thrones how jamie the king slayer where you got yourself in and you had to make this in this moment of some people call it weakness. Some people call it honor. You had to do what you had to do. In this case, you're just setting it up as, oh, hey, she's awesome. Yeah, I don't... Uh, this this hurt the entire episode. Again, it was a really good episode, so it only brings it down you know, a notch, but an excellent episode was brought down to a, a, a really good episode. Yeah. Kind of thing. Just for, just for that, because again, it was just, to me, it was so egregious. And it was... And again, not like earlier with the connection, like an easy. It's it's probably a cost thing. And again, I understand how having Pan jump in her, her arms and them snuggle and go nose to nose like you would in that situation could be a lot. And maybe they tried and it, and, it, and they couldn't look get it to look good. Yeah. Or whatever. They should have done something. Something. Be creative. You get around that in some way. Um. So so yeah, so she's standing there stupefied, looking at Mrs. Coulter, and uh, yeah, so she uh, and Mrs. Coulter does this weird thing where she reaches out to her. It just was none of this works for me. Uh, and then there, when Mrs. Coulter's uh, like personal, like little area office, and she's trying to comfort her and get her to drink some chamomile tea, and it's like, look, if I wanted to poison you <laughs> at this point, like, come on. Uh, she also goes, uh, you called me something in there. Um, so who told you <laughs> that I'm your mother? <laughs> and she's like, I guess your first question to me would be, you know, why didn't I keep you? And let's say uh, I was, we were both better off. I was not equipped. Um, probably, you know, still is not equipped to be anybody's mother. Psycho. Um, yeah, that's like the most Jerry Springer. I wasn't meant to be somebody's mama. Yeah, like, but you were. And you are, so... Sucks for you? Sucks for everybody, especially that kid. Um... Yeah, so they drink tea. Uh, Mrs. Coulter realizes that Lyra knows. Lyra's got questions. Um... She asks about dust. It's like, you're after dust. What the hell? She's like, look... Dust is terrible. <laughs> Dust is the worst thing. Your demon? She's like, no. But she, she's like, uh, and we're gonna make life better. She's like, fam, cutting pan away from me is not gonna make life my life better. Like that's the worst thing you could do. And Mrs. Coulter's like, when you're a child, your demon's like a nice companion. But when you're older, 
you know, it gets all sorts of ideas in your head and blah, blah, blah. And and it didn't happen in the books, but I'm thinking, like, shouldn't Lyra have looked at the monkey and went, so he's the reason you're a piece of crap? <laughs> you know, like, so he's the reason that you're such a terrible, horrible person. Because of your demon and your adult demon or whatever, your settled demon. Um, Lyra's staring daggers at. She's just being. I mean, she has she has all the moral high ground at this point, you know. And and she's just being really cold with Mrs. Coulter and and indignant, rightfully so. And Mrs. Coulter's trying to keep it together. She, she, you do get the feeling that Mrs. Coulter, because she shouldn't be somebody's mother, she doesn't know how to be anybody's mother. She doesn't. She probably doesn't know how to be a good lover. She probably doesn't know how to be a good wife. She probably doesn't have know how to be a good friend because she seems stunted in a lot of ways emotionally, uh, or walled off. And her whole thing is control and dominance. That's how she gets through life by controlling and dominating people. And you don't make friends, you don't, family can't get close. Obviously, she didn't raise Lyra, so she didn't have her daughter uh, for the last 10, 12 years or whatever. Um, so, her whole thing, even if she's, even though she's like trying to be sweet to Lyra, brush her hair back, stroke her cheek, and be motherly, it's so she can control and dominate Lyra. Like, yes, she loves her, that's her daughter. And Lyra even asks, why did if 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 it's such a good thing? Why didn't you let me get in? Why didn't you let them cut Pan away from me? She's like, yeah, not for you though, not for you, not for your friends. It's not perfected yet, and until then, you're not to be, you know, just being a total hypocrite. And Lyra yeah. isn't stupid, and she she can see through that. Uh, and and this is when I think she decides, um, you know, she's like Billy Costa's dead. She's like, oh, because she's like, what about Billy and Roger? She's like, I guarantee if they're friends of yours, they won't get hurt. She goes, tear, eyes filling with tears. Billy Costa is dead. And then Mrs. Coulter, well, that's unfortunately. And we'll find those responsible. Lyra goes, that's you! <laughs> You're responsible! You the search about? will continue. F- find- <laughs> we will never rest until we find the, the culprit. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, she's like faux apologizing I'm sorry if me being who I am damaged you in some way like woman take some responsibility for the you know things you do but she did really seemingly get genuinely emotional she did this she did this thing where she didn't want to blink because she would have cried but her eyes just completely Ruth Friggin' Wilson killed it once again. She was very well. Again, uh, uh, it's uh, it's like the Triple H thing when he knows like this show is going to be a stinker. I'm not going to be yeah. anywhere near it. When the ratings come in, they will not be able to say it was because of my match or my segment or my promo or nothing. Oh, I have the night off. No, no Monday Night Raw for me. <laughs> and so yeah, Ruth Wilson wasn't on the B minus show of of, right. of this year of the season so far. Um, but they killed it in this scene. Um, Mrs. Coulter then brings up, like, yo, um, the, the Master of Jordan gave you something. 
that you weren't supposed to show to me or show me and tell me that you had the alethiometer trouble is I believe the only reason he gave it to you is because he wants it to fall in the, into Lord Azrael's hands and God knows that man doesn't need any more toys uh, to do damage with um, I know he told you not to tell me about it and she's trying to be sweet but again it's all control and dominance and she convinces her at least she thinks and in another I don't know kind of WTF moment where did Liver pull the spy fly 10 from because she's in hospital <laughs> she's in station scrubs all her yeah, her nude all like her, where did she get it like is this like metal gear where like where she reloaded everything from like <laughs> she, all no when you mission? hit the checkpoint and the save yeah when you get to the save point uh, once you get out of the intercision mach- machine you 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 hit the, ch- the the major checkpoint where you get the cut scene and everything resets and uh yeah all of a sudden your pockets uh everything that they took from you when you got there is back in, in your in your inventory <laughs> but yeah when 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 mrs coulter's uh eyes well up with tears and it's like I am your mother and Lyra pulls Mrs. Coulter's hands to her face and like has like makes her caress her face and she pulls out the spy fly 10 is like I kept it safe and and immediately you're like oh I know what's about to happen and um, of course the the spy fly is in the spy fly 10 and she's like wow you have been careful you've uh, soldered it and everything <laughs> <laughs> and and Mrs. Coulter doesn't stop to think this thing isn't heavy. Why? Who? How did Lyra get it soldered? She just wants the lithium. She's blinded by uh, by hubris and and greed, wanting that thing. So she opens it up, and of course the spy flies, hits her right in the face. Boom! Knocks her down. The monkey freaks out. Lyra runs, grabs her crap closes the door, smashes the, like, electronic, you know, uh, lock, and then we get the scream scene. So Lyra's bashing this lock in, this electronic keypad in with the fire extinguisher, screaming her head off, and Mrs. Coulter's on the other side, banging on the door, screaming her head off, and it's fantastic. Lyra, or Pan goes, you know, Lyra, that's enough, we gotta go. Lyra hauls ash. She kicks one of the, you know, kicks a, 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 a fire alarm, breaks the glass, and the alarm goes off. Um, she sees kids getting their snowsuits on. She runs up to Roger. She's like, "This is it. Get go go get those kids, Roger. We're gonna need to free them." And he's like, "What if they don't want to come?" He's like, "You can persuade them." So she gives Roger his mission, and he's like, "What are you gonna do?" He's like, "What I'm best at, causing chaos." So she takes off down another way. The kids are, you know, other kids are getting their winter stuff on. She runs into, I don't know how she knew, but she runs to the locker and gets her bag full of the clothes she came in with. And Pan's urging her, hurry up, hurry up. She's putting on her overalls, putting on her, in the, in the, in the, in the book they describe, she, you know, she's got her seal skin, whatever, and her boots and her scarf, and she's got her, uh, and everything. So she gets dressed really quick. She puts her scully on, she puts her jacket on. Here comes uh, Nurse Betty, whatever, the, the, the nurse that got most of the focus. She's like, take those off, Lizzie. You won't be needing them. Go back to your room. 
And she's like, this place is the best place you could possibly ever be. Just a complete robot and parroting the stuff she's been told. And Lyra, just out of blue, just... What was the name of your demon that she had cut away from you? And the nurse all has just this far away look, but it gets even more like intense. Nicholas. And I loved him. <laughs> I didn't look, I didn't see Batman versus Superman, but this had to be like Martha. Your name's Martha. <laughs> <laughs> she just stopped dead in her track. Nicholas, I loved him so much. Like, uh, I'm really not exaggerating how she sounded. That was <laughs> almost exactly how she sounded. And she just stopped. She's like, because clearly she's affected deeply that she's remembering. this. It's like the first, it's probably the first time anybody has asked her about Nicholas since... Um, since he's been cut away so that gives Lyra yeah. her chance she books and you know takes off down the hallway leaves the nurse standing there Roger's trying to convince the kids let's go you know let's let's get out of here um, kids aren't they're just sitting there counting and looking staring at him Roger gives this impassioned speech about look I know what they did it sucks and it's terrible, but you don't want that final, that last moment. You don't want your demon to know that, you know, in that final moment, you, you know, you didn't do what you had to do. I can let's let's go and we can stop them from ever hurting anybody, ever kids again. Uh, Lyra hauls ass to the intercision machine. Uh, Pan reminds her what Doctor Cooper said over the loudspeaker about you know, cl- you know, cl- keep the doors closed or. Or the system will fritz. Lyra goes like, "Well, let's fritz the system." Then she goes, opens the the double doors on the intercision machine. She comes back up to the panel, the 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 the, the control panel, and Pan's like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "I'm pressing every button I can until something happens." Just the net, you know, like, "Yeah, this is uh, this is what you do in this situation." And um, she does. She presses everything, and stuff starts activating. And then she hits on. And man, it, like, the, the level of science that that they didn't really, and in the books, it's not like something that they're omitting. They didn't really go into it uh, in too much detail. Because, you know, Phil Pullman's not a, a scientist. You know, I don't think he'd want to get into the weeds of, 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 Magnetism and but you get you got the feeling that my goodness, because the the whole thing starts like collapsing on itself. So it's it's obviously some kind of weird gravitational thing they're doing. It's kind of man in the high castle esque kind of feel, and you know no surprise, you know Nazis and fascists, you know over there, and the you know, magisterium certainly got that aesthetic. And the building itself starts shaking and cracking. And Lyra and Pan are like, oh my god. And Pan's like, Lyra, we gotta go. Um, they leave. The door that they leave through ends up like just breaking off its hinges and going flying, you know, flying away again. Just some kind of weird magnetic stuff. It's not affecting flesh. It's, you know, people. Because Lyra gets the move and it's only like the steel doors and whatever that are uh, 
and the cement that's cracking around it that's being affected. Uh, but Ry- Lyra, it's a it's a big explosion. She almost uh, you know she has to duck around the thing not to get hit by the door or a big chunk of concrete. Um, any any thoughts on 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 any of that, Lyra? Uh, Setting up the, you know, Fritz in the machine. <laughs> Roger trying to talk, uh, give a give a arousing speech to the to demonless kids. No, I think I think Roger's part was really fun because he, well, not fun. He, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was really exciting because it certainly he, gave him, yeah, you know, something to do. Like he's he's good. I mean, you knew that from epi- from the first episode when he's got a breakfast and is having a conversation while you know eating the <laughs> stealing the sausage from the, the, the kitchen. Um, but this gave him something really to sink his teeth into, and 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 you know, rousing those kids was was perfect. Um, uh, so yeah, then we get a shot of Lee Scoresby arriving. Uh, the balloons hovering above, above, uh, above the station. And oh, and then then the, the Golden Monkey back in in Coulter's private quarters. The Golden Monkey is telling her like, "Yo, let's let's go in this room." She opens the like a closet of the room that they're in. There's a ladder and a vent. So he climbs up monkey style, busts through the vent, and like leads the way. And she's crawling through this vent, and and I put on Twitter, I, I put a, a, a gif of Bobby Hill in a seersucker suit, waving himself with his with his hat, you know, kind of like, ooh, I do declare. And I'm like, yeah, this Mrs. Mrs. Coulter, uh, uh, sullying her nice dress, <laughs> crawling through a dusty old vent. Like this was not. Uh, this was not ideal for her. And again, a mirror image of her daughter. And a call back to the episode in her apartment of Lyra crawling through uh, the vents. And also, because they didn't do how Lyra got... That was how she got through the station. She was able, in the book, at night, she was able the to... She was able to. Um, she found the vent, and that was also where she hid the alethiometer and her cold weather stuff. And she was able to crawl through the vents and hear stuff, and, and yeah. So because they didn't do that, they at least had Mrs. Coulter be able to escape through the vent, and it also was a call back to to the apartment. Um, the kids are trying to leave, but Dr. Rendell and two, two, uh, Tartar soldiers are like, stop it. Now remember, he's super like shaky and not, and know, you know, he's not a fighter. He is just a weak lily livered, you know, but not because, you know, he just wasn't raised that way. Uh, you definitely wouldn't even have to have like a gun or a knife to rob him on the street. Like, give me your wallet, mother... You know, here, here, here. <laughs> just don't, don't hurt me. <laughs> he's that. De- he's definitely that guy. He wouldn't even like look to see like, wait, is it just you? And you don't have a stick or a gun and that. Mm, you had to wrestle this wallet for me, fam. Like we got to, we're gonna box me. <laughs> no. So he's like, come on, kids, don't be, don't do anything silly. Uh, uh. But then. Boom! Two Egyptians take, I think, John Fa and maybe Ma Costa. 
but Dijon and another guy, whom stab a couple, stab the two Tartar soldiers. Ma Costa then push, pushes Dr. Rendell up against the wall. He's like, please, please, I was just following orders. Don't hurt me, don't hurt me. He's like, Billy Cotton. She's like, talks about Billy, like, you took my son, or whatever her line was. And she just <laughs> breaks his neck. She does the old Steven Seagal and <laughs> break the guy's neck. Hand under the chin, one behind the head. And he slumps down the wall. John, they focused on Fa's face when she did it. You didn't get like to see the actual twisting of the neck, but you know, he's like, "Well, she said it was time to kill," and she, uh, she, uh, she lived up to that. Um. Oh, then we get a shot of of uh, Serafina flying into flying up to the station uh we have lee or not lee Lee, oh lee shot a guy okay so in the scene where the guy they she breaks the guy's neck ma does but then the kids scream because here comes another tartar soldier charging and then he gets shot in the back by lee scoresby with a rifle then it's all then they show then they show seraphina flying in you know in the distance and it's just chaos it's Tartars fighting Egyptians. There's Lee, uh, uh, there's uh, 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 York Berenson, you know, throwing guys and just being a, you know, being the, uh, you know, an armored bear. <laughs> He's the gun in the knife fight, <laughs> essentially. And then here comes the machine gun in a knife fight, Serafina Pecola. So in all the chaos. Again, Tartars fighting Egyptians and, and Yorks running around, smashing people up against the wall and throwing them all over. Lyra gets knocked down and she sees across the way Dr. Cooper pointing to her, going to a, at a, telling a Tartar soldier, she's the one we need. She's of the utmost importance. Don't We need the kids. Kill everybody else. Lyra gets knocked down. She sees, oh crap, here comes this Tartar soldier. He then stops in his track because he gets a bolt an arrow right in the neck and then another one to the back she looks up there's Serafina and like the only way I can explain it it didn't visually look like this and or look like the Matrix but she was Neo in the Matrix the way she moved and she just came down and she had this awesome trail behind her to show how <laughs> she was basically moving at 10-15 times the speed and just all the Tartars that were fighting Egyptians, she just went stabby, stab, slice, and then Dr. Cooper was the last one. Bolt to the heart. She just stabbed her right with an arrow or something right in her heart. And so, and that one, and then in the show, this was not a contained, or I'm sorry, in the, in the books, this was not a contained, the movie gets this battle closer to the books. Uh, they were leaving. The kids had escaped. They were freaking out because they were scared and cold and Tartar had Tartar soldiers had wolf demons and they're barely in their cold outfits. Some of them had half outfit and it was just they were getting tired like, oh, I don't want to walk anymore. It's like we got to keep going. Trust me, the Egyptians will show up. Then the Egyptians came and it was a big fight outside and it was witch. It was a bunch of witches and a bunch of Tartar soldiers and 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 and, and they got yeah, and that's how. Yes, yeah, so that's how that went in here. Here, one witch doing the work of twenty witches, though. 
So they didn't. So if you were wor- like mad, like, well, they didn't have a bunch of witches. Again, they probably couldn't afford twenty witches having a witch battle or doing stuff. So let's have the one just be straight up OP and murk everybody in you know three seconds. <laughs> and that's what she did. And all the Tartars were down. All the evil doctors and stuff staff were dead. And all the Egyptians hugged and celebrated the. Uh, Celebrated the win. Yeah, lots and lots of fighting. Egyptians are kicking ass. Then Serafina shows up, mercs everybody. That was literally I put in my notes. Egyptians win! <laughs> uh, Coulter was watching from a distance. So she she wasn't, obviously, she didn't get, Serafina didn't kill her. Um, Roger then bought all the demon kids, or I'm sorry, demonless kids out uh, into like the corridor and uh oh and after Serafina killed Dr. Cooper she looked Lyra dead in her face for like a split second they had a moment and then she took off um and again all Egyptians hug here come the demonless kids all Egyptians stop in their tracks and are just like like I don't react don't react don't react you know, like it's like you know when you see someone with a physical a physical deformity or something, and you you know not, you're not a terrible person, but sometimes you you don't want to stare or what it's that kind of thing. And they were not doing a good, a good job of not staring or not re, they were reacting, and they were just sad and disgusted and a lot of things. But they got over it and they got closer and they kind of their humanity won out and this was a I thought they didn't they didn't do the best job of getting of putting over as I said earlier of putting over the idea of the horror it is when you get your demon cut away or someone touching not you touching your demon the taboo but this was a really it wasn't sweet just tender you know these kids that are demonless and people aren't record they record again and it's the first time but they came in they hugged them they kept them warm like okay you're with us now um and then we get my and lyra saying their goodbyes she's like you got another mission she's like yeah no i gotta free it she gotta, i gotta go free lord Azrael. um and then roger meets york and lee back at the balloon and they all leave in lee's balloon and my last note in this section, why is Roger with them? Richard Fan the second, please explain to me why Roger was allowed, why every adult in this in this scene, Fartercorum, Fartercorum, John Fa, Ma Costa, Lee Scoresby, are all four adults in charge of this thing. And your Bernison. Nobody said. Nobody said. Why are we bringing this young boy on this mission? This obviously dangerous mission. None. They were so happy they got their they got the victory. And I was complaining the Friday about it, and she put she she uh, she posted she showed me like what what happened in the book, and it was the chaos again. They were fighting outside. Mm-hmm. One of the witches, I don't know if it was Serafina, scooped Lyra and Roger up 
and bought them to Lee's balloon and like kind of like <laughs> laid them up into the basket like uh, and then kept it moving and dipped off and so they tumbled into the balloon together and they all right they're there and 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 Roger she's like I want Roger to come with me fine I guess she wants Roger to come but that they didn't even address it in here he just he just goes with them and then and they leave Lee nor Ma no no one says anything at least in the book it was a circumstance that they were together the witch threw them in the basket and it was like go 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 kind of everything was frantic no here everybody's calm the fight's over they're like okay time to pack up and they just happen to take this small boy with them on this mission that's obviously going to be fraught <laughs> you know and we know his fate and you know but it's just I wish they would have written that a little better so maybe yeah um did did you have any any was that something that you just that that didn't bother you as much? No, I mean at that point it was just in for a penny and for a pound. I thought it was just they got because he has to go. To, I understand he has to yeah. go with them, but in the books they did a better job of covering why he would be in that balloon in the first place. Yeah, and it was Lyra's. It was point Lyra's. A, point B. It was Lyra's insistence, and I get that they are like kind of like. All right, let the girl do what she's going to do. But I would have liked someone to raise a stink, a little stink. Uh, In the next scene, we've got uh, Lee's balloon. um, And then you see a a witch fly up, and it's Serafina. She's like, hey, I thought I'd give you a little, you know, give you a toe, uh, which is straight from the book she it's super windy or whatever and they need to go a specific place and a balloon is in a plane obviously you can't steer steer like you would a plane or or kite even uh so she gave him a tow and got, got him off in a in a good direction and she's like hey the polar star will guide you to Azrael and there's a good wind there's a strong wind and you're a capable navigator um so Lee is concerned about two things. One, his contract with the Egyptians is up, right? Like he should, he's going to be compensated or was compensated. Blah blah blah. This is a whole different thing. Like I didn't sign up for this extra Azrael mission. What's this? And she's and and basically Seraphine is like, first off, you're going to have to man up. Second off, you're going to be responsible for this girl who's responsible for destiny or fate or however Seraphine put yeah. it, which freaked Lee out. Like, wait, she's responsible for destiny, and I'm responsible for her. Whew. Um. So he was uh, he was worried about being paid at first, like the, the material stuff. Now he's worried about you know having the fate of the world in his hands, in his balloon. Next scene, we got all Egyptians in a forest, uh, presumably outside of the station somewhere in uh, I don't know southern Balvanger. <laughs> and and all the kids are there all the demons are there so all the severed demons of these kids Corm goes poor little buggers they won't they don't even talk anymore so the kids can talk they say at least count one to nine uh, well, you know count to ten um but the demons won't talk and as I said earlier uh, the one demon was just clunking his head up against the thing, like clunk, clunk, clunk. Um, 
uh, John Fowler worries to uh, Ma Costa about like, what are we gonna do when these when we get these kids back? She's like, you know, we'll take them to their parents. He's like, what if they don't want them? <laughs> you know, what if they recoil in horror at their half children? She's like, well, then we'll, they'll come to live with us as Egyptians. And again, showed that reiterated that Egyptian outsider ethos. Like, hey, we take all kinds of outsiders, even 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 severed even severed uh, kids. Um, I wonder if they... They didn't, but I wonder if, like, some... Like, say if there was a nurse or an orderly, like, take me with you, please don't leave me here. Would they have, uh... Been like, no, you're tainted by the Magisterium. Just like, okay, fine. That would have... Te- that would have tested their... <laughs> their uh, open... Open-armed... <laughs> we accept everybody. Except for you. Except for you, yeah. Um, then we get what I believe to be confirmation that John Fa was indeed Billy Costa's father. Because he looks at Ma Costa and goes, I, I thought we were going to bring him back, Maggie. And they kind of have, like, the moment they had in episode two or three. Like, they have this moment of they hold hands and they're like, we didn't get him, we didn't save him, but... We stopped a lot of this, and these aren't the last kids that the church is going to hurt, but we certainly made it harder for them. And they have this really tender moment that I can only... It, it looks like between two parents gr- still grieving their now... or grieving their now dead kid, when earlier it was they were grieving... or they're mourning, yeah, their now dead kid, when earlier they were just kind of grieving their missing kid and hoping he uh, hoping he was fun, he was safe um, then we get a, the last scene of the episode in Lee's balloon his in, Lee's instrument he's the only one awake everybody York Roger and, and Lyra are asleep they're curled up on York under a blanket uh, Lee's instruments start going off and acting like weird um Next thing you know, oh, he does pull out his gun. Lyra wakes up. He tells her, you know, hush, chill. Uh, and then Cliff Gas attack. And they're all over. And York's, you know, swiping at a few outside. Lee shooting the, the couple that get in. And I'm like, yo, Lee, there's gas. <laughs> you know, like he knows his balloon, but he's just Yosemite salmon firing all over the place. Um,. But in the chaos, Lyra falls up against the side of the balloon where the uh, opening was and falls out, hangs on for a bit, and then like in the movie Cliffhanger, (laughs) Sylvester Stallone couldn't couldn't save the woman from falling. Lyra fell and leaves Lyra! I mean, it was just a really good just got the job. It was yeah, and York save, save her, Lee, and then Lee trying, and you know, it just was a tough situation. It was, you know, York backseat yeah. heroing. Like, won't you save? <laughs> Reach your okay. paw out there, grab her. You could pick her up with, but you know, two fingers. Two. He could have grabbed Lee and dropped Lee down right. and held Lee him. by an ankle. Drop him mm-hmm. down. Lee grabs Lyra. He hauls them all up, and it, he don't break a sweat because he's a two-ton fuller, you know, armored bear. 
Uh, so yeah, so we 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 leave off on a big old cliffhanger. But it's one of those things where they immediately show you in the previous or uh, in the next time on that Lyra's alive. They don't try to play like, dude, did the main character that this whole thing is based on did she just die in episode six of the thing that's going to go three four seasons? No. Um. So. Yeah, so that's it. So it ends on uh oh the cliff gas. They th- they did a I thought a good job of making them look creepy and leathery and like a I don't know how what I would have thought. I didn't really have an image of them in my head, you know. Thinking you know I think I had them more bird faced because they do have wings. So I think I had them having beaks and they look more like sloth faced. Weird, yeah. Yeah. They're definitely slothy. Like sloths with, with leathery wings. And and then, yeah, you realize that, yeah, Lee's got this pistol that you gotta pull back the hammer every. Or at least it makes it a lot easier, this old fashioned kind of six shooter. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's the episode. That's episode six. That's, uh,. Um, what the heck was the name of this episode? Um, the Demon Cages. Let's um, let's go to some emails. We've got our Australian contingent chiming in, both uh, Craig and Friday. Craig and Olga chiming in with emails. Let's all um, sit back and uh, get a have a. a professorial lesson from the professor 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 Hughes <laughs> um, oh if you want to email by the way and and I very much encourage all the listeners to email hit us up on the email at ddustpodcast at gmail.com ddustpodcast at gmail.com and the twitter is the same at ddustpodcast and if you want to drop us a voicemail, you've got three minutes to leave uh, any kind of a message. you got questions, comments, you want to rant about the show, you want to talk about how the demon-human relationship. Uh, you got three minutes to do that, excuse me, on the voicemail line. Voicemail can be reached at 415-787-5229. So email, ddustpodcast at gmail.com. Twitter, at ddustpodcast podcast and voicemails 415-787-5229 so Professor Craig he chimes in he says hey Travis and Rich long time listener first time emailer lol another terrific uh, uh, I'm sorry another terrific episode and what has overall been an amazing an amazing interpretation of the books you'd have to be a curmudgeon to find fault with it luckily I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. <laughs> I really enjoyed the grim industrial set design for Ballvanger. Kind of half borstrel, borstrel, half ab- abattoir. So I have no idea what, what either of those things are. Um, so thank you, Craig, for making me feel uncultured. <laughs> Do you know what? Uh, Borstel and Half Abattoir is 
ABA. Yeah, Abattoir is basically a dark, dingy, desolate place. You know, like the Bowery in New York or Gotham City Alley or mm. something mm-hmm. that just feels like the end. Okay. He says it was it was, it has a stunning visual impact, like that shot with the crazy nurse, half terrified, half psychotic, staring off out into space. But I think it should have been more like the books or the film version. More hospital-like, more clinical, plain, utilitarian, white with some weird murals of tropical scenes to break up the dull, neutral laboratory walls. Well, in the cafeteria, they did. And I don't know if that's what, if you, if you notice, Craig, but they had that weird, like, beach set <laughs> it was like a sunset with like a ocean in the background and some sand and a palm tree or something like is that supposed to make things feel cozier or, or brighter in any way in this <laughs> borstal abattoir feeling or setting uh, Craig continues like the philo- like the philosopher Hannah <sighs> Son of a bitch. Like, I feel like he's doing this on, like, definitely doing this on purpose. Like the philosopher Hannah Arendt said when she talked about the banality of evil, it's ordinary people making horrible decisions about the lives of others in ordinary places with paperwork and rubber stamps. This actually comes out with the scientists, the staff, just following orders, scared of their superiors, failing to make a a moral choice on the basis of some tenuous vision of making sacrifices of other people for someone else's vision of a better future. The Patriot's excuse, as we all know patriotism is the last refuge of of a scoundrel, it's only red-eyed psychopaths in a grim fortress and the cheesier kind of fiction. Marvel, DC, that kind of thing. How dare you? Uh, so while, so while I was wowed by the visual impact, I don't think it fitted the story, which at its heart is about uh, is one about the age-old battle between free will and determinism, between our choices, or between our choice to do what is good, or submission to an authoritarian's power, authoritarian power's determination of what's good, which can be sub which can subsume our conscience and make it easy, so easy for ordinary people to commit heinous acts of evil. Did the philosopher uh, Hannah Arendt say all that, Craig? <laughs> yes, it's a cracking adventure, he continues. Uh, but like all the best tales, it is also imbued with deep philosophical choices. Right, wrong, good, evil, friendship, family, truth, and love. Of uh, Truth and love for the characters and for the readers. Speaking of adventure, I would have liked much a much bigger battle. In narrative terms, the battle for Volvanger to free the children. In the climax, of course, we know it's the semi-climax, but it has been the per- uh, but it has been the purpose of the entire adventure. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's this first book, gotta go free the kids. Uh, from the point of view of someone who doesn't know the story, that's what it sh- should seem like—the culmination of the whole adventure. That way, what happens next when you're when you're perhaps expecting the denouncement ramps up excitement to 10 it ramps up the excitement to 10 again and what happens after that is of course essentially the beginning of a whole new adventure 
But at last, we got to see Serafina Pecola kicking ass and taking names. That was fairly spectacular in itself. Showed her for truly for a truly powerful force, which I guess is an important foreshadowing for later battles. Cheers, Craig. P.S. Blame Olga. She suggested I email. Tongue out, smiley face. Um, yeah. You want to react to any or all of that, Rich? I'll leave it to you. You want to co-sign what the philosopher Hannah Arnott said? Listen, y'all are at my maximum time limit, like Jack Shindo when Ultraman. We're at two hours. Oh my god! I signed up for forty minutes. Uh, Like this is this is no, I'm good. All right, so yeah, it's it's still (laughs) tremendous email, Craig. Thank you for for that. I, I I talk talk some trash, but that was very well put and very well written. Um. And not a ton of questions in there. It was just, yeah, your your observations. But yes, we're all better for, for reading and hearing that. I, I really do mean that. Last one from Olga. Hey, Rich and Trav. I was particularly impressed with the religious zealotry coming through in this episode, particularly with Dr. Cooper and Mrs. Coulter. Dr. Cooper and Dr. Rendell, uh, Dr. Rendell's scenes Scenes showing him expressing doubt and her fervor for the, their project was a good example of fundamentalist belief versus science. But I thought that Mrs. Coulter and Lyra's scene was real was a real standout. Yeah, I, I, it was really good. I think that Rich said Mrs. Coulter is not a religious zealot in an earlier episode, and I disagree with that. She may be hypocritical, but she's definitely she definitely believes that this is her calling in the same way she believes that she saved Lyra. I'm really pleased to see them not in- only including this significant element in the in the uh, of the book, uh, but treating it thoughtfully. What did you think? I agree. I think we talked about that when when we talked about those scenes showing Dr. Cooper being uh, her 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 professional and religious zealotry blending like she couldn't be doing like she's the type like the job Dr. Cooper had was like when they say do do something you like and you'll never work a day in your life however the saying goes she doesn't work a day in her life like she wakes up in the morning like whistling a tune like gonna sever some demons from some children today drinking her tea in the morning you know like just getting getting her files and her paperwork ready like no 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 this is what she enjoys doing because she thinks it's gonna better the world and the She's gonna get recognized as some as some uh, holy woman or saint or you know soldier in the fight against uh, evil. I don't I don't freaking know. But thank you Friday for that for that email and thank you everybody for for listening and hanging in there. I know these uh, these last couple of a couple of episodes have been uh, taxing on your time, but they've certainly given us a lot to talk about. Uh, next week episode. Next week's episode is. I, I I saw the title. It's like we've come for the fight, or yeah. t- time to fight, or th- you know, let's go, you know, mfers, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> put you, put up your dukes. Uh, so we will be back next week uh, on time. Uh, Rich was on assignment in California. Um. So he is uh, back, and uh, we're back on schedule next week. So, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. 
please email us, voicemail us, tweet us, interact, reach out and touch. We are we we pride ourselves on being very interactive. Um, so please reach out to us in some way. And uh, yeah, until next time, uh, we'll see y'all next week when you cross over through that window into our world. Thanks, everybody. The Demon Dust Podcast is hosted by Travis Bryant and Rich Fan II, and is produced by Cameron Hawkins for the South Congress Podcast Network. Thank you.